Lord, as, as it was prayed, we just invite you to speak. We thank you that you do speak. You're not a silent God. And as we open your word, you promise that, that it never returns void. God, so I pray that you would give us a great sense of expectation. Lord, particularly today as we look to the Psalms, the Psalms which speak so clearly and openly to our hearts, pray that you'd soften our hearts. Uh, Lord, it's a, it's a difficult world, and we can often become cold and calloused. Uh, Lord, we can often gloss over things that really should have been dealt with, should have been addressed. And Lord, as we come to this book that speaks to the heart, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to hear and to respond. So God, I ask for your help, because none of us can muster this up in ourselves. Lord, I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, and I thank you, God, that you're generous in giving us the help that we need. Would your Holy Spirit work as I speak and preach? Would your Holy Spirit work as we listen and respond? And would you be glorified by the obedience and even just the disposition of your people as we come before your word today? I pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Amen. Well, I imagine you've already heard this question five times this morning, but I'll, I'll just ask you once more. It's an important question. Uh, how are you doing? How, how are you doing, really? Good probably has been your answer five times already this morning. Good. We're always good. We're supposed to be good. Stiff upper lip, right? We know this. That's, that's how we've been raised. We've just come through two years of unbelievable turmoil, relational conflict mixed in with some fear and some job loss and some horrible things that have been said. Some of us are sick. Some of us have been sick for years with no sign of of anything changing. Some of us have marriages that just aren't what they ought to be. And it feels like they're worse today than they were a year ago. Some of us aren't feeling so good and haven't felt good for a very long time. How are you doing? really. It brings us to our passage for this morning, because in fact, you're allowed to be feeling a little bit broken, because we live in a world that is a lot bit broken. You're allowed to be disheartened by the things that you see in the world, by the things that you see in your family and the things that you see in yourself. We're going to spend some time making our way through the Psalms of Lament as we approach the cross this Easter season. And lamenting is something that we need to recapture as Christians. This is very important for us. And I want to talk about what lament is as a Christian. Because there's a difference between lament and grumbling. Lament is to bring our concerns and even our complaints to God in faith. And that's different from grumbling. Because grumbling is bringing our complaints and concerns to one another in unbelief. Right? God does not like our grumbling. We see the way that he deals with our grumbling in the scriptures. But lament is encouraged. And in fact, God gives us these psalms to give voice to our lament. We can do something with those concerns and those complaints. We can bring them to God in faith. He invites us to. And that's what these psalms are for. These psalms are for us when we feel that tension, that very real tension between the belief that God is good and that God is in control because he is, and the acknowledgement that this world is not so good, and my circumstances are not so good. And I'm holding on to these two truths, and there's a, a dissonance. Like when someone plays a chord, but they've got the note in the wrong place. Something just feels off 
and there's a tension. And that feeling of off doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian. When you feel broken, it doesn't mean that you're, you don't belong here. Those feelings are part and parcel of living in a fallen world. So to that end, we're looking today to Psalm 88. Our text this morning is peculiar. It is, without a doubt, the saddest psalm in the Psalter. Unlike the rest of the Psalms of Lament, Psalm 88 does not end on a note of hopefulness. On the contrary, listen to the last line of the psalm. He says, You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of the psalm. You read that as a Christian, it almost feels like he's breaking a rule. It feels like there's been a typo, like somebody's cut out the final verse. Are we allowed to pray that way? Well, here in our text this morning, God has given us a song to sing that doesn't end with a happy resolve. And I want to make sure we think this through before we go any further. If God has given this to us, then it stands to reason that we need it. If God has given this to us, it stands to reason that we are actually deficient and ill-equipped without this. If God has written this song for you, then it stands to reason that you and I and each one of us will face seasons in our life when the only worship song that we'll be able to sing is the song that we find here in Psalm 88, the saddest song in the Bible. One commentator notes, and Marianne, I'm going to skip a slide, I'm sorry. One commentator notes, as readers of the Psalms, we can feel ourselves understood and explained by them. So some of us are in that place of despair and discouragement, and and he's telling us that as we read the psalm, we can feel ourselves understood and explained by them. But some of us don't feel that way today. Praise God. Some of you are not in a season of lament, but the commentator to the emotional struggles of others. So whether you are in a season of despair or whether you are sitting next to someone who's in a season of despair, have someone in your family, have someone in your circle of friends, have someone in your congregation who's in a season of despair. This psalm is for you. We need this. And so we're, we're going to do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable this morning. We're going to worship along to the saddest song. And so as I, I keep using this language of song because the psalms are that. They are songs. In fact, we'll see that in the opening words of this psalm. It's a song. So picture yourself in your mind's eye coming alongside this psalmist with an arm around his shoulder and just worshiping with him as he brings this song to the Lord. Now there's a curious Hebrew word, Selah. It's a beautiful word. I have a few friends who've named their daughters Selah, which I just think is a stunning name. The reality is, however, none of us entirely know what it means. And if you read all the commentaries, you're going to come away with five different interpretations. We're not quite sure. It's a musical term, we know that. But what does it mean? I don't know. The best guess that I've found, and the one that I'm, I'm going to lean into today, is that it strikes me that it's likely a pause. Almost, you know, we have those, if you're a classical musician, you're reading through and then you see a whole rest. This feels like something like that. It's a rest, pause, breathe, stop. And so as we work our way through the psalm today, we're going to find these say laws divided into three sections. And so thinking of it like a song, I see those as three verses or three stanzas that we're going to sing as we worship with the psalmist. We find the first in verses 1 to 7. Look there with me now. 
hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Psalm 88. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath, Leonoth, a maskil of Heman, the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Selah. That's the first stanza, the first verse of this song. And so we're going to worship along with the psalmist as he sings, just to summarize it, as he sings, God, it hurts. Seems like a fair summary of what we've just read. He says, God, it hurts. He uses this vivid language, if you just look at the text, this language of being on the cusp of death. He pictures himself as one who has no strength left in his body, as one who's lying amongst the dead who are strewn about all around him. And I want you to try and picture that because he's inviting you into a mental picture here. And as my mind goes there, probably in light of the war that's happening all around us in the world, I just imagine a battlefield. And the psalmist says, he's like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm right on the cusp. I'm still breathing. But there's no strength left in my body. I can't get myself out of where I am. And I'm surrounded by the dead. I'm in the place where, where everyone's forgotten. It's just like there was a battle here on this field, but now the battle's moved on, and nobody's coming back, but I'm still here. Hopeless. Stuck. The psalmist has a soul that is full of troubles. And William Plumer is right when he says, of all troubles, soul troubles are the worst. And most loudly call for compassion from man and loving kindness from God. Because you can reset a broken arm. You can stitch and bandage a flesh wound. But an injured soul can only be healed by the hand of God. And in this particular season, the psalmist has lost hope that any soul healing will come. He's crying out to God night and day, he says, which is to say, always, always he's crying out to God, and always there is no response. There's no restoring. And now this is hard for the psalmist because he's not an atheist. Now, if he, if he were just to, to reject God, then he could console himself and say, well, this is just bad luck. You know, this is the way of life. Some of us get a good lot, some get a bad lot, and some get a bad lot. But the problem is the psalmist believes, he knows that there is a God and that he is good and that he is in control. And yet that knowledge is actually putting confusion. He declares, look at verse 6 to 7. This is shocking language. He declares, you, he's speaking to God, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Do you hear that? 
So here we have the psalmist, and not only is he saying, God, it hurts, but he goes a step further in verses 6 and 7, and he's saying, God, it hurts, and God, it was you. It has to have been you. The devil's not more powerful than you. He's a dog on a chain. He can't go any further than you would allow him to go. He can't touch a hair on my head unless you give him permission. God, it was you. Cancer's not stronger than you. Alzheimer's not stronger than you. Depression is not stronger than you. You could cheer me with a word. God, it's you. This marriage is not too complex, too broken for you. My wayward child is not too far gone for you. This childlessness, this singleness is not too hard for you. You're the God of miracles. God, it hurts. And God, it's you. The job loss. You could have prevented that. That pregnancy, you were Lord over it. That accident, you could have stopped it. It hurts. And God, it hurts all the more because it was you. It was you. Look at verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Christian, have you ever had to pray that prayer? Hear me this morning. You're allowed to. You're allowed to sing this song. In fact, God wrote it for you because He knows that you need it. Charles Spurgeon says here, It is well to trace the hand of God in our sorrows, for it is surely there. Now, He's not the author of evil, He's never guilty of sin. He is good. He is completely in control. And yet, nevertheless, for reasons that I can't even begin to understand and that I would never try to reason, He often gives us painful burdens to carry. He often enrolls us in the school of affliction. But every hurt, every trial, every disaster, every loss, every sickness, every tragedy that has ever left you reeling first passed through the hands of your Heavenly Father who loves you. Now, some days that is a comfort. But other days, as is the case for our brother here in Psalm 88, that only heightens the lament, the confusion. Nevertheless, it is always true. Now, ours is not to understand. Instead, we declare with Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Let's move now into the second stanza of this, the saddest song. Again, imagine yourself. You're standing next to this brother. Your arm is around him. And he carries on in verse 8. And he says, You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Here he goes into the second verse, and we worship along with the psalmist as he sings, God, I am abandoned. He looks to his friends for support, but his suffering is off-putting to the world. He describes himself here as a horror to his loved ones. And, and some of you have experienced this, and I'm sorry if you have. He, he brings his trouble to the people that love him the most, and as they look at him, he can see that they're just not sure what to do with them. It's off-putting. He feels it. 
People don't want to be around weakness. People don't want to witness the whole People don't want to come to terms with death. We want to believe the lie that all is well with the world. We want to believe the lie that we will live forever. But sick and hurting people ruin the illusion, don't they? Am I wrong? This is how our world operates. And nobody says it, nobody writes that on the billboard, and yet, and yet they say it all the time. It's true of physical illness. It's also true of spiritual maladies. Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. He also suffered from serious and terrible bouts of depression. Here's what he writes. He says, Even to those who love me most, my pain and my helplessness is now an accustomed thing. While to me, it keeps its keen edge of suffering, but little dulled by use. He says, this, this pain, this soul trouble, it's just as painful as it was on the first day, but to those who love me most, it's becoming a, just a, a thing. Just a repetitive, he goes on to say, my ills to them are a tedious, often told tale, which comes with something of a dull reutterance. Just as painful for Charles Spurgeon as it was the day that it started. But even the people who love him most are kind of over it. And he feels it. We live in a world where you feel the need to paint on a smile, to cover all of your wounds if you want to belong. Whatever you do, don't ruin the illusion. Don't remind us that life is hard and that our days are numbered. Don't remind us that every season of prosperity inevitably gives way to a season of adversity. And whatever you do, don't bring your broken, afflicted, suffering self into our carefully curated, closely guarded illusion of unending bliss. Again, you don't find that on the billboard, but if you've ever been in a season of suffering, you feel it, don't you? If you want to love a person who is suffering you need to understand that in one shape or form, they are wrestling with this feeling of loneliness. Sad about the way that their suffering impacts your life. They know that they are the dark cloud floating around in a world of celebration. And it's a helpless, lonely feeling. The psalmist says, I'm so shut in, I can't escape. My eyes are growing dim with sorrows. Worst of all, he cries out to God in his despair, but even God feels distant and aloof to the psalmist. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? And the implied answer is no. That's how he feels. Of course you don't. That's how he feels. Why would the God of light pollute himself by descending into my darkness? If my sinful friends are put off by my brokenness, then how much more must the holy, holy, holy God be repulsed by me? That's how the psalmist feels. And sometimes that's how we're going to feel, brothers and sisters. We're going to feel that way at times. And we can express that feeling. We can bring that to the Lord. But before I move on, I do want to clarify that while this grieving psalmist is right about how he feels, he's wrong about the conclusion that he's drawn. And I do want to make sure you hear that today. In spite of that feeling, God is there with him in his grief. Sometimes God seems silent, but He is never, ever, ever absent. I also want to say to you that if you find yourself feeling abandoned like this psalmist, you need to fight the temptation to push away from your friends. 
even when you, you look in their eyes and you get the same sense that you've become a horror to the people around you, that, that they don't know what to do with you, that you're, you're too broken, that, that this is too hard, that this is too unsettling, and you see it in their eyes, don't pull away, please. William Plumer is right when he says, and this is a quote worth memorizing, we sometimes double our sorrows by nursing them in secret. I'll read that again. We sometimes double our sorrows by nursing them in secret. So the animal retreats to the woods to die alone. But you're not an animal. You need community. You need community. Even when you feel like you have become a horror, you need community. Please don't run away. One of the things I hope to accomplish by God's grace over the course of this series is I want to reinforce, and I want you to hear loud and clear week after week, that you can bring your brokenness to the worship gathering. God has called us to weep with those who weep. We intend to do that here. We will not do it perfectly, but we intend to do that here. Now I want to look now to the third and final stanza of the song. So the Psalter's declared that he's hurting. He's declared that he feels abandoned. And now he sings, picking up in verse 11. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord... Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. In this final verse, we worship along with the psalmist as he sings, God, I am so disillusioned. I don't know if that's a familiar word. Disillusioned, meaning it's like a, I'm so discouraged, but it runs deeper than that. I'm so disappointed, but it runs deeper than that. It's, I thought that this world was something else, Lord. I had expectations. I had a vision of life, and the vision of life that I had is nothing close to the reality that I'm experienced, lost. I'm disillusioned. God. And this brother's feeling that. And before we go further, I want to point you back to the title of Psalm 88. Because in the title of Psalm 88, we're told exactly who this man is who's writing this psalm for us. His name is Heman. In fact, we meet him in 1 Chronicles 6. Let me read a little passage for you as we're introduced to the, the author of Psalm 88. 1 Chronicles 6, 31-33. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their service according to their order. These are the men who served and their sons. Here's the, here's the first one. Of the sons of the Kohathites, Heman, the singer, the son of Joel, when you read 1 Chronicles 6, apart from this, boy, it's pretty triumphant, isn't it? Here's Heman. What an honor. Selected by King David himself. Leading worship in the tabernacle. Heman, he's the, lead, he's the singer. We love Heman. 
What an honor he has. I want you to think for a moment. Every day, Heman dressed himself up in the sacred garments. Every day, he took his position and he led the Israelites in corporate worship. Look back at verse 9. It gives this kind of brings to light some of the things he said. In verse 9, he, he says, Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. We're not talking about a, a man who's, who's standing in his basement crying out to the Lord. Heman is standing up in front of the congregation every day, raising his hands, leading the people in corporate worship. And yet he's coming home, and every day he's singing in verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Think you felt like a hypocrite? Going up and leading the worship songs each and every day? Do you think he felt a bit disillusioned as he watched as the happy congregation left full of the joy of the Lord day after day, and he went home day after day wondering why it was that he couldn't attain the thing that he was leading others into? I suspect that he did. And this wasn't a temporary spell. It's not like Heman had a bad month. In verse 15, he talks about how this affliction goes all the way back to his youth. This is Heman's lot in life. He's always felt this way. Alec Machir describes it. Here is trouble, without explanation, lasting as far back as the eye can see, seemingly stretching ahead without relief, and likely to be overtaken, still unsolved by death. Which is why this song ends not with a a cry of victory, but with a whimper of despondency. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And that's how the saddest song ends. Life is hard. Life has been hard for as long as I can remember. And life's not going to get any better. My friends have rejected me. My God won't answer me. And the only place where I belong in this world is in the dark. And I want to make sure that you hear this today. This song is in your Bible. This song is in the Holy Spirit-inspired hymnal of the church. God gave you this song. Therefore, it's not inappropriate when you're in the valley and you need to sing a song just like this. Some of you have been singing this song for as long as you can remember. Perhaps like Heman, it takes every last bit of willpower for you to get yourself dressed, for you to get your family to the corporate worship gathering. Maybe it's a physical affliction that you've been wrestling with. Maybe it's a relationship that feels like it is forever broken, not going to get better. Maybe, like Heman, you have a soul that is troubled, and that soul trouble just won't go away. But you're here. You feel misunderstood and alone, but you're here. You feel like God's forgotten about you altogether, but you're here. You feel like you're a horror to your friends. Whenever they catch a glimpse of what's really going on in your life, you see their eyes change. You feel like the only place where you really belong is in the dark, on your own, but you're here. And I just want to say thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. I want you to know you belong here. I want you to know God's written a song for people just like you in circumstances just like this. I want you to know that we will worship alongside you for as long as we have to. We'll sing this song with you until you're ready to move on to the next song.
But I also want you to know, even in the saddest song, there's still a sliver of hope. I really want you to see this. It's not at the end. We have to jump back all the way to the beginning of the song. Look again at verse 1, where the psalmist says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Even in the pit of despondency, the psalmist knows that he's not bringing his lament to a powerless God. Even in the absolute valley of despair, he knows that he is at least not bringing his cry to a disinterested God. No, God seems silent, and God is subjecting him to wave after wave of despair and despondency, but even still, he calls out to him, O Lord, you are the God of my salvation. So, this is who you are. You're the God of salvation. That's, you're the deliverer. You're the redeemer. You're the restorer. That's who you are. But, but the psalmist goes a step further. He says, God, you're the God of my salvation. And there's a sliver of hope there. Charles Spurgeon says this, while a man can see God as his Savior, it is not altogether midnight with him. I wonder if, if you've ever been in that place of the thousand-mile stare, the sitting in the dark, the trying to worship your way through it and, and nothing is changing and your heart is absolutely filled with sorrow. But in that place, isn't there a great comfort that even as you feel like God is silent and even as you feel like you are trapped forever in this darkness, you can still say, God of my salvation, you are my God. You are not doing the things that I want you to do. You are not changing the things that I want you to change. But you are my God. I feel lost. I feel alone. I feel afraid. But, but you are my God. And as long as you're able to pray that prayer, the saddest song that the Christian sings is is filled with more joy than the happiest song that the world sings. You sing to a God who hears you. A God who knows you. A God who loves you. And if you're here today and you're in a place of Psalm 88, I want you to know that you're well positioned as we prepare our hearts for the cross. The pain that you so desperately want to escape is the pain that your God willingly entered into. Think about that. In fact, spend the next five weeks meditating on that, marveling at that. The pain that you would do anything to get out of is the pain that your God willfully entered into to bring you home. Just rest in that. Jesus had every opportunity to avoid the cross. He wasn't surprised by the cross. We understand. This was always the plan. He entered in, but as, as the circumstances arose, as the pain increased, you realize that he could have summoned a host of angel armies to strike down the soldiers who blindfolded him and struck him and beat him. You realize that Jesus could have caused the earth to open up and to swallow those bystanders who mocked him and who literally spat at him as he hung on the cross. You, you realize Jesus could have aborted the mission immediately as soon as he felt the, the shame and the guilt and the weight of the sins of of. The world, your sin and my sin, as soon as he felt all of that upon himself, he could have ended it in an instant. And instead, he hung naked in the dark. 
Even the sun couldn't look as the Savior breathed His last. The Lord Jesus, who, who was and is and forever will be in perfect unity with the Father, cried out in despair, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? The second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, felt the anguish of Psalm 88 more acutely than any other human being in the history of the world. And through His death, through His suffering, through His resurrection, He's shone a light of resurrection hope into our saddest song. The God of our salvation has entered into our lament. And He's proven definitively that death will not have the final word, even when we feel for all the world like it will. I want to invite you today to call out to the God of your salvation. Bring Him your pains and your burdens. He already knows them. He invites you to bring them to Him. Voice your complaints, your frustrations. He knows them. Confess your sins. He's already paid for them. Ask Him to deliver you. The price has been paid. The deliverance is set. Cry out to the God of your salvation today. Some of you never have. Cry out to Him today. And He will hear you. And He will answer you. And He will meet you. And then rest. Rest in the reality that even in the valley of the shadow of death, even when you feel abandoned by your friends, even when you feel like you're sitting in the silence, like you've become a horror to everyone around you, even when it feels like darkness is the only place where you belong, in the valley of the shadow of death, you can rest because the Good Shepherd is with you. He's with you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank You that You've met us in our need. I want to thank You, God, that You know that we're dust. You know that we're sick. You know that our souls become sick. Our minds become sick. Our bodies become sick. Our relationships become sick. You know that there are days when we feel like we are in absolute despair and You meet us here. And we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not when we're with You. In fact, You call upon us to come before You in honesty, to cry out to You, to cast our burdens upon You. Lord Jesus, You invite us, all You who are weak and heavy laden, come to Me and I will give You rest. You, t you tell us to take all of our fears and anxieties and to cast them upon You, that You'll give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. You tell us that we come to a God who is who is not unfamiliar with us, but who is acquainted with our grief. Lord Jesus, You've suffered as we suffer. You've been tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. You are the way out because You came in. God, I pray today that and maybe it's just one person who just feels like they have been lost and forgotten. And they've been sitting in the dark in a forgotten place for a very long time. Lord, I just pray for them today that you would just minister your love and your healing and your mercy and your grace to them so especially right now. God, I pray. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they would press into you even when it feels like you are absolutely silent. I pray that you would meet them in such a unique way, Lord, that they would feel comfort. And Lord, I pray that if you leave them, 
in the same circumstance with the same feelings. Lord, I pray that they would not retreat, but that they would continue to cry out day after day, night after night, to the God of their salvation. And I pray that we, as your people, as the, as the body of Christ, the hands and the feet, I pray that we would come alongside the broken. Forgive us for all of the times, day after day, when we fall utterly short, embarrassingly short, and we leave people to wander through this on their own. Father, forgive us. We want to grow. We want to do better. And we thank you that by the power of your Spirit, we can do better. So Lord, would you use your Word? Would you minister with the power of your Spirit in our hearts to transform us to be ministers and ambassadors of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us in this season of stillness and lament. Lord, I pray that you'd meet us in a way that only you can. I ask it in Jesus' mighty saving name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?